You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. High Bitcoin valuation draws the attention of cyber criminals, and a number of those criminals work for Mr. Kim of Pyongyang. Alleged criminals, we should say. Centrion offers an update of its investigation of the sandworm incident ANSI uncovered. Reports of the big hack are received with caution. Patches applied, pulled, and replaced. Joe Kerrigan describes a legal dust-up between Proofpoint and Facebook over lookalike domains. Our guest is Sanan Aaron from Barracuda Networks on their State of Cloud Networking report. And Florida's water system cyber sabotage provides a good reminder to stay away from unsupported software. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, February 21st, 2021. Criminals respond to market pressures and chase market opportunities as much as do participants in legitimate trade. Kaspersky published a study yesterday that sees a shift in the focus of much criminal activity over the latter part of 2020. One of the incentives the underworld saw late in the year was a significant rise in the value of Bitcoin. And so, criminals repurposed much of their infrastructure away from less lucrative efforts, notably distributed denial-of-service attacks, and turned to coin mining. That's where the money has been. Among the criminals who took note were the state-sponsored hoods being run from Pyongyang, that is, the North Korean threat crew the U.S. calls Hidden Cobra. Cybercrime has long been attractive to the DPRK, as the Kim regime seeks to redress its general economic failure and sanctions-driven isolation from international markets. In this case, however, Hidden Cobra is more interested in direct theft than it is cryptojacking, that is, installing coin miners on non-cooperating systems. This morning, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency issued a joint alert with its partners in the FBI and the Department of Treasury, the alert's goal being to highlight the cyber threat to cryptocurrency posed by North Korea and provide mitigation recommendations. 
The tools Hidden Cobra has used in this campaign are collectively referred to as apple juice. The alert explains, quote, The North Korean government has used multiple versions of apple juice since the malware was initially discovered in 2018. Initially, Hidden Cobra actors used websites that appeared to host legitimate cryptocurrency trading platforms to infect victims with apple juice. However, these actors are now also using other initial infection vectors, such as phishing, social networking, and social engineering techniques to get users to download the malware, end quote. So, trade with caution and armor yourself with appropriate skepticism in the face of social engineering. The U.S. Justice Department has gone one better than simply participating in a joint alert. The Washington Post today reported that Justice has unsealed charges against three North Korean espionage officers. They're accused of conspiring to steal and extort more than $1.3 billion in cash and cryptocurrency from banks and businesses around the world. The conspirators are alleged to have been active since 2014 at least and to have pursued a state policy of revenue enhancement with a bit of revenge thrown in. The indictment was filed on December 8, 2020, in the U.S. District Court of Los Angeles. The three defendants are identified as belonging to the North Korean Reconnaissance General Bureau, the RGB Intelligence Service, It's noteworthy, perhaps, that the three were sometimes posted outside of the DPRK itself, including tours in China and Russia. The range of what the Justice Department press release calls schemes is indeed impressive. The list of criminal activity alleged in the indictment includes some familiar and famous capers, including cyber attacks on the entertainment industry, that includes the famous November 2014 Sony Pictures hack, Cyber-enabled heists from banks from 2015 through 2019. These involved fraudulent SWIFT transfers from banks in Vietnam, Bangladesh, Taiwan, Mexico, Malta, and various African countries. Cyber-enabled ATM cash-out thefts, ransomware, and cyber-enabled extortion, including creation of WannaCry 2.0 in May 2017, creation and deployment of malicious cryptocurrency applications, targeting of cryptocurrency companies and theft of cryptocurrency, spear phishing campaigns, and finally, marine chain token and initial coin offering, a 2017 and 2018 scheme that sought to evade sanctions by peddling fractional ownership in maritime fishing vessels. This operation was, of course, supported by a blockchain. A Canadian resident has also been charged with abetting the conspiracy with money laundering. Centrion, a firm whose IT resource monitoring tool France's ANSI identified as compromised in what appears to be a Russian operation, yesterday provided an update on its own investigation. The software in question is an older version of the tool that's been unsupported for the last five years. There have been eight updates since that version reached its end of life. The company says that none of its current customers were affected and that the 15 entities that were afflicted by Sandworm's backdoor were all using open-source versions of the obsolete software. ZDNet reports that the backdoor found in the open-source version of Centrion software was Xaramel, a malware that bears some similarity to InDestroyer. ESET offers some background and context describing how they found Xaramel at the heart of InDestroyer during their 2018 investigation of Russia's 2016 cyber sabotage of Ukraine's power grid. As Bleeping Computer reports, it's unclear how the threat actor succeeded in compromising the software. 
Fortune summarizes the current state of opinion about Bloomberg's renewal of its story on alleged discovery of Chinese hardware backdoors into super microchips. Fortune notes that the current version relies on secondhand and anonymous sources, which, according to Fortune, does not inspire confidence. It's a curious story that Bloomberg first ran in October 2018. Supermicro has vigorously disputed the report, most recently in a statement it issued this week, and industry sources cited in the initial article did not confirm their statements when queried by other media outlets. U.S. government officials said in 2018 that they had seen no evidence of the compromise Bloomberg reported and that they would welcome being shown evidence that it had occurred. The present version of the big hack story is being received by most observers with a heavy dose of caution. Some news on patches and updates. Microsoft has pulled one of its Patch Tuesday fixes for Windows 10 version 1607 and has issued an update to replace it. CISA yesterday issued four new advisories on control systems. The affected products include the Hamilton T1 ventilator, the Open Design Alliance Drawing Software Development Kit, Rockwell Automation's Allen Bradley Micrologix 1100 Programmable Logic Controller, and Wago M&M Software FDT Container, Update B. Authorities in Florida continue their inquiry into the Oldsmar Water Utility Cyber Sabotage Incident, but beyond expressing the hope that they'll be able to discuss the attack more once the investigation is complete, they've had little to say. Water systems in other parts of the U.S. continue to look to their defenses and seem to be using recent federal advice as their guide for doing so. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. 
confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, visit SixthSense.com. Sinan Aaron is VP of Zero Trust Access at Barracuda Networks. He joins us with takeaways from their recently published report on the state of cloud networking. I mean, it's always helpful, uh, you know, for us to have a, a cohesive product strategy, uh, looking into the future, you know, what our customers want, uh, whether their infrastructure has been, you know, as, uh, as we predicted, has been, you know, shifting away from on-prem and data centers to cloud infrastructure, public cloud infrastructure. So it's always it's always helpful to probe, uh, you know, a diverse set of uh, customers and and you know organizations on all verticals uh, coming from different compliance and regulatory frameworks uh, to find out, you know, what is what is uh, what is future looks like for them, uh, what is the digital inf- transformation looks like for them, and how they're going on about it. So, what were some of the key findings here? What were some of the things that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of them actually stood out impressive in, in a sense that I wasn't expecting to hear that. Uh, but more, more than three quarters of, of the participants, uh, the organizations uh, mentioned that they use multiple cloud uh, providers. To be to be completely fair, I mean, uh, and, and transparent here, I always assume that you kind of take a bet, right? Microsoft Azure, Amazon Web Services. To hear that, you know, three quarters of organizations have multi-cloud, meaning that they kind of pick the best for whatever the the functionality and the service that they're looking for, whether it's storage, whether it's compute or networking, uh, they pick and choose. They pick and choose whichever is more optimized, uh, whichever offers the best uh, SLAs and best quality of service. Uh, They tend to go with that, which was refreshing and it's it's brilliant, but at the same time, it was surprising. Yeah, fair enough. What were some of the other things that stood out to you? Uh, I would say that also uh, this was a, a positive surprise, and it was, it was nice to hear that about ninety percent, eighty-nine to ninety percent of the respondents say that they understand the shared responsibility model when it comes to cloud security. You know, uh, when they're using Amazon, Microsoft, or Google, they know that the vendors are responsible for the security of the cloud infrastructure itself, right? Uh, but then they are responsible for the security and the posture management of everything that they put on the cloud, right? So that's Unfortunately, a lot of the breaches came through, uh, you know, misconfigurations on the cloud and, you know, all kind of uh, customer driven, perhaps, um, I I would say, perhaps not quite understanding their responsibility model. We've been hearing data breach after data breach over the years, but it seems like it's it's finally that folks are aware that the responsibility is shared between infrastructure security is on the vendor and how you configure and how you, you know, uh, protect the, the data and the configurations that you upload to the cloud is the customer's responsibility. So that that's refreshing to hear. Yeah, you mentioned um, the, the fact that there was so much multi-cloud uh, use was a bit surprising. Was there anything else that was unexpected when, when you when you read through things that uh, you weren't looking, uh, you weren't expecting? One one other thing, uh, I mean, I was, uh, I, you know, I would say that we all had have a healthy bit of... Uh, Skepticism about you know SaaS applications scaling super fast. Uh, you know, take mm. your um, you know uh, mail and productivity suites or, or your you know your favorite CRM. Uh, so we heard uh, from our you know 800 uh, participants that uh, they endure latency and and they were not very happy with the performance. Right. So there could be many reasons. Uh, this this was taken back in October 2020. Uh, the survey and you know of course uh shelter in place and lockdown um 
was in full full force. Uh, so there might be an outcome based on that that our basic utilities were not meant to take on this a lot, you know, super increased load of everybody working from home and hitting Salesforce or Office 365. But we did hear uh, 70% of the participants uh, mentioning that their SaaS workloads uh, seem to end a lot of latency. That's Sinan Aaron from Barracuda Networks. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting story from the folks over at ZDNet. Uh, this is written by Catalin Simpanyu, uh, and it's titled Proofpoint Sues Facebook to Get Permission to Use Lookalike Domains for Phishing Tests. Mm-hmm. What's going on here, Joe? So what has happened is Proofpoint has uh, a phishing test product that they offer to companies, right? This is a, a product to in- increase security awareness for the employees, and they'll send links out to people that when they when they click on them, the people will see a message that says, okay, you just clicked on a phishing link. It's, right. But these domains look very much like Facebook domains. In fact, they are, uh, one of them is factbook-login.com, mm. um, which is just Facebook login without the, uh, without the E. Another one is really good. Uh, this one actually made me look twice in the text of the article. It's Instagram. AI. Now, from from looking at it here with my with my uh, old eyes, old man eyes, this looks to all the world like Instagram. I mean, the R and yeah. the N at the end make that M. And when I look at it, I see Instagram. It's a good <laughs> right. name. Right, well, right. They also have uh, Instagram.org and Instagram.net. Now, Facebook is using a process called UDPR, and that stands for Uniform Domain Name Dispute Resolution. Uh, and that is where they make a request to get control of the name, the domain name from the registrar under the auspices that this is somebody acting in bad faith and somebody hmm. trying to impersonate Facebook, right? Right. Uh, or Facebook intellectual property. Now, here's the thing, Dave. I don't know where I come down on this one, right? Because hmm. Proofpoint is, has a good point that they didn't register these in bad faith. They're not harming anybody by using them. They're actually using it for education, Right, right. It may be better, better for Proofpoint to have them than have them be available to a bad guy. Exactly. Uh, but Facebook has, has a good point here, but these are still out there and available and Facebook doesn't control them, right? So mm. what happens if uh, Proofpoint, let's say, I don't wish this on Proofpoint, I don't have any, you know, I don't think this is going to happen, but let's say fa- uh, Proofpoint gets acquired, right? 
and that business gets uh, shuffled off and they stop renewing those domains. Those domains become available for anybody. Right. Right. I wonder if there's a resolution here where a proof point could say, you know what, uh, Facebook, we will reach an agreement. We'll reach a settlement here where we'll give you these domains. These will become your domains as long as we can continue to use them in our phishing exercises mm-hmm. in an agreement for as long as we're a company and we never use them maliciously. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, this can be a prickly thing where, you know, we've seen um, examples of uh, folks, companies spinning up some of these fake phishing um examples where they've used things like where they've said, uh, click here for your Christmas bonus. Right. And, uh, and it's a phishing test. And on the one hand, uh, it's compelling, right? Everybody wants a Christmas bonus. But on the other hand, in the midst of a pandemic, when uh, there's lots of bad things going on, getting someone's excited about a Christmas bonus that does not exist. Right. It's not very, not very sporting. Yeah. (laughs) that, That is not very sporting. Um, yeah. I, I think that's yeah. bad form in, in these phishing tests, but these, I think these phishing tests actually target social media, right? Like there was a mm. phishing test I got one time that it was just somebody going, Hey, is this you on Instagram? And mm-hmm. I'm, and it was just, you know, a link, it, you know, there's the, you was highlighted and I moused over the link and I was like, that's not Instagram. But <laughs> if, if somebody said, is this you on Instagram and use one of these Instagram, Instagram, I, uh, mm-hmm. Things and I, I said while reading the article, I couldn't tell the difference. Right, um, right. I couldn't tell. It looked to me like Instagram. The only thing that would have tipped me off is a top level domain being .net, .org, or .ai, and then instead of .com, which I know Instagram is Instagram.com. Um, this is an excellent an excellent tool for people. Uh, it could further increase the uh, granularity, and it's not that malicious or I don't know. I wouldn't say malicious, but ill planned <laughs> idea of saying, yeah. "Hey, look at your Christmas bonus," and then now the employee is really mad that first off they got caught by a fish test, and second, and more importantly, there is no Christmas bonus. You're just enrolled in the Jelly of the Month Club now. <laughs> so, I, I wonder how far this goes. To what extent can Facebook request these takedowns, and to what extent are they granted? You know how. How how far afield can a name look? And could folks who have legitimate businesses that just happen to resemble an organization like Facebook's, could they f- accidentally fall into this net? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, and I, I actually thought about that question. And I, I thought about, um, you know, if I had, a, if I had a, a company that was maybe something, I don't know, let me think of something really stupid, just a picture book of faces that I have. Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Right. And, uh, and, uh, I called it Facebook book. Right. And, and that, and that was what I did is I sold a book of faces. Uh, yeah. is that a legitimate business? Uh, yeah, I think that is, I think that Facebook shouldn't be allowed to, uh, infringe upon that. But that being said, if I'm just publishing a book and I'm just some guy in my house publishing a book, I don't have the resources to fight the millions of dollars or billions of dollars that Facebook spends on lawyers every year. I'm not right. going to win that court right. battle. No, no. No, it, it's you know I guess it's just a, a matter of uh, who who ultimately has authority in in a takedown request like this, and it will Proofpoint be successful in pushing back on it? it? I think it's interesting. It's worth watching. Yeah, it is worth watching. Well, this is part of the uniform uh, domain name dispute resolution process. So uh, there is a process that's defined. So we'll have to see how this goes. We'll have to follow this one. Yeah. All right, again, uh, the article's over on ZDNet. It's titled, Proofpoint Sues Facebook to Get Permission to Use Lookalike Domains for Phishing Tests. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. 
And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Everything you want, nothing you don't. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.